future leaders right there. The ones that are going to be taking care of you when you're old. It's very important to people like me. All right. My name is Steve Ruggiero. As you can tell, I don't look much like Pastor Fred. We have one thing in common. I think Pastor Juice mentioned it last week. We're going to leave it at that. Um, so you might see if it shines off my head with these lights. I don't know. But uh, hey, listen, I'm really glad to be here tonight. I think this is just a, a great privilege and an honor to get to share with you. Um, we're going to get right into it because i got a lot to talk about tonight. But um, I'm going to be a little vulnerable tonight. I'm going to come in your house. You know, we're going to spend some time together. Like, think about if I was sitting around your dining room table with you or, or you inviting me into your living room. I was going to ask Steve Walls and Tim Dodd if we could, if it's possible, we could just get the, the chairs in a circle really quick, like a life group. That would really make things come because that's the kind of atmosphere I want tonight. And that should be okay. It should be okay to be vulnerable, you know? I mean, because we're family. Are we family? Well, good, because I have, speaking of family, I have a video for you. And I want you to see this video and let me know if your family looked a little like this. Ah, dinner time. Yes, mother, Junior remembered to clean up. Brother seats Junior. Then helps mother to her chair as he would his best girl. Many families throughout the country observe the custom of saying grace at mealtime. It is always treated with reverence and respect. Napkins on the lap, the family awaits service. They converse pleasantly while dad serves. I said pleasantly, for that is the keynote at dinner time. It is not only good manners, but good sense. Are you kidding me? Whose home is that? <laughs> right? Brother seats mother like his best girl. Look, that's not what it looked like for me growing up. Family. There isn't a word in the English language that carries with it so much emotion. Family. For some of us, we hear that word, and, and we just have this feeling like a warm blanket, a secure blanket that's around us, and, and, and we have memories of Thanksgiving or Christmas morning opening presents, maybe, maybe Dad taking us out back and teaching us to play baseball, or Mom packing things in the car and taking us to dance lessons. But for others, the word family brings a little different feeling. For some, it brings feelings of anger disappointment, and unforgiveness. Family. You know, some people speak to their families every day. Talk to their mom, they talk to their dad, they see them, they talk to their son, their daughter, their sister, their brother, their cousins. They're, they're just integrated in their daily life, and yet there are others who haven't spoken to their family in years. So tonight, I just want to talk about wherever you fall, on the spectrum of family, whether you're one that feels like, oh man, I just got great memories of family, like a warm blanket, or maybe you're on a far end of the spectrum, and, it, and it's like you're wrapped in barbed wire, and every time you think of family and you move, it hurts. Wherever you fall on that spectrum of family, one thing holds true. Family is the front lines of our faith. 
family is the front lines of our faith. It's where some of our initial and toughest battles will ever be fought. I remember when I first made a vow devotion to Jesus Christ. I was, I was in a hot, small trailer in Sumter, South Carolina, recently married with my wife and a friend of mine, and we said the sinner's prayer, and I didn't know anything after that except I just felt great. So the first thing I did, a young guy called my mother, and I said, Mom, guess what? I just got saved. And she said, from what, dear? I was like, oh, eternal fire? I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, what do you say to that? You know, I didn't, I didn't know. I just knew that this isn't going to go quite as well as I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time tonight talking about some family matters. Because family matters. Family matters. You know, anyone who knows me and has spent any time with me, I've used this phrase, so that to them it's going to be like, yeah, we hear them say that all the time, whether you're in a life group or marriage counseling or hanging around the dinner table. I have this phrase that I say all the time, and I think it's a principle that undergirds family matters that I want to give you tonight, and it's ministry starts at home. Ministry starts at home. And before you check out and say, hey, look, I, I'm not in the ministry. I, I, I'm not preaching at a church. I'm not running worship. Let me define for you what I mean when I say ministry for this phrase, ministry starts at home. It's two things. It's one, the active and daily working out of your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Again, the active and daily working out of your decision to follow Jesus Christ by way of your relationships, your responses, and your behaviors. Ministry. Secondly, it's that intentional, that equipping of gifts and passions that you have that God has given you to further his kingdom. Okay? Our calling as Christians, folks, our faith as followers of Jesus Christ, it must first and foremost be lived out within the walls of our home. Okay? Now, the first beneficiaries of our decision to follow Jesus Christ should be our family. I mean, they were certainly the recipients of our behaviors before we chose to follow him, you know. And when I say this, when I say, hey, ministry starts at home, I get a lot of nods. I said, oh, yeah, Steve, absolutely. Ministry starts at home. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. But, and yet, there's still this subversive inconsistency in many people's lives. Let me start by saying, there are some wonderful, wonderful, well-intentioned people in the church. They'll bend over backwards. Whatever you need, they're there for you. But when it comes to their families, well, mm, I've seen people and I've known people, and maybe you have too, that they will fly to the other side of the world. They will get all their immunization shots. They will stand in line for hours at the courthouse to get a to get a passport, fly 13 hours on a plane, walk on a dirt road, barely eat anything to give a child a meal and the gospel. But they won't walk upstairs to sit with their children to give them the gospel. There are people that will spend countless hours on the phone 
brother, I hear you, man. I feel for you. I hear about your struggle. I'm there for you. Oh, yes, sister. I feel you. Leave them. I get it. I understand. I'm here for you. Countless hours. But won't give their spouse 30 minutes of undivided attention. There are people who will volunteer time and time again, loading up their truck with all their tools to come to the church to fix, build, repair, anything you need. And yet, their garbage disposal hasn't worked in their own house for three weeks. Look, I know this probably isn't going to apply to anybody in here. Here's the thing. Sadly, sadly, some people, they have an infinite amount of grace and mercy for their brothers and sisters at church and have very little for their brothers and sisters at home. When ministry starts at home, when ministry starts at home, what we do for others, folks, should be an overflow from our life, from our family, not a drain on our family. It should be an overflow from it. And you may say, well, well I don't have a family. I'm not married. I don't have any kids, you know. I, my parents are long gone, or I don't, I'm not around my kids and how does this apply to me let me check out i'm like okay let me ask you who's in your life close who's your inner circle who are you around most of the time who knows you right because i believe in that little circle there god is asking us to come up here's my point if we're not living and demonstrating our love for Jesus, around those who know us best, around those who, who we're with on a regular basis, if we're not demonstrating to them our, our, our love for Jesus, then our Christianity, our commitment to Christ has an air of insincerity. It has an air of insincerity. It's, it, it could be a little shallow, and it lacks depth. Some of you are out there right now going, I, I don't know what he's talking about. I, why would anybody, why would anybody choose to, to focus more of their attention outside of their home rather than inside their home with their family? This is ludicrous. Who does that? Why would anybody do that? Well, I have three reasons why I think it's done. First, at home... We don't always get the accolades and the appreciation that we would like when we're living out our Christianity. They just, my family just doesn't understand. I mean, I love Jesus, and they don't always tell me how much they appreciate it. I mean, Pastor Fred is so nice. Every time, you know, I can have all this problem. I come to Pastor Fred, he puts his hand on my shoulder. He's got this mind melt thing. Everything could be all crazy. He puts his hand on his shoulder. Next thing you know, you're like, everything's going to be okay. He's so nice. And his wife, come on. You do anything here, right? And you get an email, and she's, thank you, thank you. You're so nice. Thank you for helping. Appreciation. But that doesn't always happen at home. It doesn't always happen. So, we redirect our efforts to those who are a little more appreciative, a little more thankful for what we do because it makes 
us feel a little bit better when people, hey, thank you for serving. I didn't serve. I, I love Jesus, and you can tell, can't you? Right? <laughs> so we find ourselves doing that. But the minute we do that, the minute we do that, the ground with, with, with which we stand upon begins to slide. Second, our families, they don't always look and act like we think a Christian family should. They're not always perfect. They're not always polite. And we read them the riot act in the car before we come in, don't we? I'm telling you what, one word from you when we get inside and it's done tonight. Or it's like, honey, I'm not having this conversation right now. Hey, Nate, how you doing, brother? Come on. They don't always look like we think they should. So we pretend a little bit. We pose a little bit. But that's not real. It's not real. Because what's real is that maybe you had a conversation today or recently about divorce or separation. Maybe you haven't slept in the same room as your spouse for six weeks. What's real is you just had a miscarriage and it feels like it's dividing your house. What's real is your daughter just came home and said she's pregnant. What's real is your son just said he's gay. What's real is your husband has a drinking problem. What's real is your wife has a spending problem. What's real is that family is hard. Family's hard, and there's no 10-step cookie-cutter Brady Bunch approach to the complexities that we call family. Right? So what we do is we rewrite, and we rationalize the scriptures in such a way to soothe some of our disappointment. But when we do that, the ground under our feet again begins to slide. Third, and I'm going to spend a little time here tonight. When we're having family problems, and we love the Lord, we're going to run to the scriptures for help. i got to be in here somewhere. The answers have to be in here for all the problems that we're having at home. So let's just start at the Old Testament. I'll start right in the beginning. Adam and Eve. Um, yeah, apathetic man, independent wife, not so much. How about their kids? Let's go to their kids. <sighs> well, one of them killed the other. We don't want to go that one. Let's move down the road. Okay, down the family tree. Jacob and Big Red. No, whole deceiver. Birthright. No, let's move along. Um, Joseph, that's good. No, darn it. The pit, the coat of many colors. Yeah, no, not that one. Let's move along. I know who. Let's look at David. He's a man after God's own heart. He has to have the answers on how to run a great family. Uh, darn it. No, his son tried to kill him. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's move to the New Testament. And when I go to the New Testament, I'm going right to the top. I'm going right to Joseph and Mary. Oh, no. They left the temple, they drove for a day, and they realized Jesus is missing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there have been times that I've left my house, and I forgot something, and we had to go back, and the ride back was always a little uncomfortable because I could feel my wife going, one thing, I asked you to get one thing, and I can only imagine poor Joseph on the way back to Jerusalem, right, and Mary going, 
One thing, Joseph. One. You forget Jesus. Right? And they get there and still looking for him for three days. You know? So rather, rather than um, finding that perfect Christian family who doesn't argue, doesn't fight, what we find is a lot of dysfunction and struggles. Just like real life. Just like real life. Now, we all hoped when Jesus showed up, he would make everything crystal clear. Right? But Jesus comes on the scene, no manual, no outline. But what he did give us is he demonstrated a life of love, characterized by grace, by mercy, by forgiveness, and by sacrifice. So Paul, Peter, they come along and are like, you know what? Hey, what would it look like if we took the things that Jesus said, what Jesus did, and we applied it to a family? What would that look like, right? So they start writing some of these things down, and, and the Bible has a handful, right? There's not like a, I was looking, I looked through all the, all the books of the Bible, I didn't see one called family or anything, I mean, there was a genealogy, but that just lost me. So, so I go to Amazon today, you know, just to check it out. I was like, I wonder how many books out there on family counseling and therapy. 19,000 books and videos on family. In the Bible, there's a handful. They all kind of lean towards each other. There's a handful. So we're going to touch on a few of them tonight. I'm not going to go into really in depth with them. I just kind of want to highlight a couple of them for us, okay? All right, here's the first one. It's a pretty popular one. Right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Great verse. Foundation in, in men's ministry. It's a wonderful verse. But a lot of guys are like, yeah, Christ loves the church. i got to be honest, dude. I don't know what that means. Sacrifice? I mean, what? what I mean. So Peter says, oh, sorry. Let me clear it up for you a little bit. Husbands, love your wives, giving them honor and understanding. Another verse, which is probably one of the most contentious verses of Scripture because it's been abused and misused, and we're going to touch on it real quick in a second, so don't rush the stage. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. We're going to touch on that. What's another one for families? Children, obey your parents. It's my wife's favorite. She uses it all the time on the kids, right? It's one of the first ones I heard. I said, what do you keep saying that for? Steve, it's in the Bible. Got it. Fathers. Don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger, right? Four or five statements. I mean, it, it sounds so simple, and yet it's infinitely complex. And, and one of the problems we have is we look at this. I, I want to run a right family. I want my family to, to be the way God wants it to. And, and I'm looking at these, and I'm going, okay, the first one. Every day, not so much. Fail. Second one, fail. Th fail. Fathers, fail. I tried. It didn't work. It didn't work. So I run to Lifeway. And I buy a huge Matthew 28, 19 refrigerator magnet. That tells me to go into all the world and make disciples, right? Go, baby. 
And I do that, and, I, and, and when I see the next verse, I just skim right over this one. This is, again, Paul to Timothy. But those who won't care for the relatives, listen, he was saying, how did Jesus live, especially for those in their own households, have denied the true faith? Such people are worse than unbelievers. Folks, please don't misunderstand me. We have to win the lost. We have to win the world. We have to mission trips. Thank you. We have to do these things. But I don't ever think that it was Jesus' plan for us to go and win the world and, and doing that saying, lose our family. Not at our family's expense. So tonight, ra rather than address every one of these, I'm just going to highlight one of them, as I mentioned earlier, and then I'm going to show you how it ties in to our life verse for tonight and how it can be the key to a healthy and happy and successful family in your home, okay? And here's that verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. I know, right? That's a terrible transition, man. That's just, that just sounds bad. But let me, let me just explain. Look, before I talk about how this ties into our life verse, look, look, I know it's terrible. I can't My wife's going to give me stuff about that later, I can promise you. Look, this, submit, is about honor and respect. It's about honor and respect. Understood correctly, all right, this word is about empowering another with hope, right? Not being overpowered by another. It's about empowering. Done correctly, it's about, check this out, investing with hope through our love for Jesus, investing in the life of another, right, which is life-giving, not possessing, which is life-taking, okay? So when you see that verse, and, and, you, and you see that word, which causes a lot of people to go, you know, think about honor and respect. It has been. It's not about manipulation and domination. It's been misused. We're taking it back. And it's about honor and respect. And one of the things that people miss oftentimes with this verse, which is so important, is that this is a, requ a request to women that's actually given to all of us in the verse right before it. Right before it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our life verse for tonight. Remember when I said that, that, that they looked at the life of Jesus and said, what does this look like in a family? And Paul says, inspired divinely by the Holy Spirit, says, I, I think I know. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, creating an atmosphere where God can move. Creating an environment for God to come in and change people's hearts. When we have that kind of attitude, it begins to change the dynamics of our family. And the message is one of mutual submission. The message is one of mutual submission. Let me tell you what I mean by mutual submission. It means I'm going to leverage all my power, all my assets, all my time for your benefit. It means I'm going to offer all that I am for all that you need. Okay? It means I'm here. And I'm going to take all the resources at my disposal, and I'm going to give them to help you.
Because guess what Jesus did for us? Guess what Jesus did for us? He leveraged all that he is for all that we could be. Right? And let me tell you what makes this verse so powerful is how we apply it. Remember, ministry starts at home through mutual submission. And now I'm going to tell you the best way to apply it. And you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have to spend four years in seminary. You don't even have to be saved. If you begin to apply what I'm going to ask you to do, immediately things at home will begin to change. Anytime you see a need, keep your eyes open because there's a lot of them at our homes or with people or those who are around often, ask this question. How can I help? How can I help? How can I leverage my power, my assets, and my time for you? What can I do for you? This is a question that offers all that I am, all that I am for all that you need. My son turned 20 September of last year. We just exited the teenage years. Somebody told me we should get a trophy. We, everyone, when you leave the teenage years, you're supposed to get Haven't seen it, right? Unless trophy is less hair, more weight, right? So he, it, you know, let me, let, me, let me tell you one thing I love about my son, though. Whenever I ask him to do something, he always does it. Anytime I say, hey, Aaron, can you, can you do this for me? Can, can you go get mulch for me? And can you? All right. All right. Doesn't roll his eyes. Doesn't complain. He does it. I don't think he's clicking his heels about it, but he does it. Right? <laughs> Since I just got a quick moment, I have a daughter, too. <laughs> Every time I'd ask her to do something... She'd be like, sure, Dad. And I'd look outside, and she'd have everyone in the neighborhood doing it. And she'd be like this, drinking tea. <laughs> Love you, baby. Shout out. Every time I ask my son to do something, he does it. Every time. How much would the atmosphere change in my home if he came to me and said, hey, Dad, hey, I see you got a lot going on. Hey, can I help? Whoa, what do you want, right? That's where we go. I was like, I'm in my wallet, I don't even know why. What? <laughs> Everything changes. Parents, I know that based on the stages of where your kids are at, you spend a lot of time instructing, discipline, correcting. But how much different would it be if, if, if once a day you walked up and you kind of got down on your knees and you looked your, your kids in the eyes and you said, sweetheart, sweetie, hey, how can I help? What can I do for you? Ladies, they're probably going to say no. But ask anyway. Go to your man, ladies, wives, fiancés, girlfriends. Go to the men and say, hey, look, I know you carry a big burden. I know you got a lot of responsibilities. How can I help? I don't need any help. I got it. I got it. But what it communicates is I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And when we do that, the whole dynamic in the house changes. 
it, it, it takes it away from this negative attitude. Of, You're doing this. You don't have to do this. Hey, hey, hey. How can I help? This question is a bridge to mutual submission. I want to spend a moment talking about the barrier. And the barrier is fear. Fear. Because we're afraid that if I ask this question, somebody's going to say, oh, yeah, you can help, all right. Absolutely. Go get your gardening gloves or go fill up the lawnmower or something. Oh, yeah, you can help. We're worried that somebody's going to take advantage of us. We're worried somebody might use us. Somebody might take us off and off the path of something that we want to do. That's why Ephesians 5.21 is so important. Submit to one another, not for one another, but out of our love for him. It's kind of like, it's kind of like God looked down. God looked down at the mess we have made of everything with sin. And Jesus said, Father, how can I help? And he said, you, you don't want to know. No, I do. What, what can I do to help? Well, I'm going to need you to go down there, and I'm going to need you to be second to every person that ever lives. I'm going to need you to go down there and get behind everyone else. I'm going to need you to go down there and, and give your life for them. That's how you can help. And Jesus said, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. So Paul says, what does that look like in a family? What would that look like if we had that kind of heart in our families and with those around us that we, we, we love? It would look like all of us giving who we are for someone else's need. And you know what? They may take advantage of you. And you know what? You may not be able to do what you want to do in that moment. And you know what? You might not be first. And it might be uncomfortable. But welcome to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Welcome to being a follower of Jesus Christ. You sang the song. I heard you. I sung it with you. Make me like you, right? We prayed the prayer. And Jesus said, okay, I'll do that. Here's your opportunity. And now, for what Jesus did for us, we get to do for others. And you know what? 99.99% of the time, it's not going to cost you your life. Just a little time. Just a little energy. Maybe a little bit of money. Probably some frustration because you don't want it. The toilet's been leaking for weeks. You don't want to change it out because that whole wax ring thing, I touched that thing once and I almost chopped my own hands off. What is that thing? Telling you. Soon as I looked at it, I said, I'm hiring somebody. Now, as I was speaking, I know that there was probably one or two who thought, well, if that's the case, 
Who makes the decision? I mean, what about being the head of my home? I mean, what, do we all just stand around all day and say, no, you first. No, you first. No, uh, how can I help you? Stop it. I want to help you. How can, whoa, hey, doesn't, we're going to be here all day. Nothing gets done, right? We're all just doing this thing back and forth. Doesn't somebody have to be in charge? Listen. This, this whole message of mutual submission, it has nothing to do with authority. It has everything to do with what you do with your authority. This has nothing to do with the decision-making process. It has everything to do with how you approach the decision-making process. Now, if I could just have a moment to speak to the men real quick. Where's my men's group? Where's my men's group, guys? <laughs> All right. Guys, if you feel and you believe that God has called you to be the head of your home, then be the head of your home. But be it just like Jesus is the head of the church, and he gave himself for everyone in it. He is our model. Jesus is our model. I heard it said one time that no one ever said, Jesus can't be the head of the church. He gave his life for it. No. We say the reason Jesus is the head of the church is because he gave his life for it. Because he gave his life for it. And if you think, if you think being head of your home means that everybody has to come to you for everything and, and you bark out all the orders and you're the one that's in charge and everybody knows it. If you think that's being the head of your home, you're wrong. Because I know you. We've talked before. And you're not happy. Because that's not happy. That's just in control. And that's not what we've been called to do as Christian men. It's not. The more power you have, Jesus said, the better servant you should be. In fact, if I may, you should be asking more than anybody else, hey, how can I help? How can I help? Now the worship team make their way up. One of the things I love about this church is we're not afraid to ask the hard questions here. Mutual submission, it's a hard one. It's challenging. Earlier today, my wife and a friend of mine were having a conversation about family. I just got there. It was had nothing to do with the message. And I said, you two are, this is wonderful, man. I'm gonna, you might use that tonight. 
And they reminded me that, that when my father, he's my stepfather, he's my father in my life since I was seven, came to, to visit about seven, six, seven years ago, he has a way about him that is very challenging. So he's, he's in my house, and, and he's telling me in, in a very condescending way that I need to tighten the fan blades on my ceiling fan. He's asking me, when's the last time I cleaned under the sink or I snaked the toilet? And he's rolling his eyes like, oh, my goodness, what kind of man, you know? And I'm fighting, and I'm resisting, and I'm arguing. And I'm like, I'm getting upset. I'm going, you stop it. We have a tendency sometimes when our family comes around, especially if it's our parents, that we, we suddenly revert back and, and they're speaking to us and we're like little kids again. And, and I'm arguing and, and I'm talking to my wife on the side. I'm like, why does he keep talking to me like I'm 16? And there's a lot of sadness in my life in the past for the decisions I made. And I was like, why is he not seeing me for the man that I am today? Why can't he just reach over and say, you know what, you've changed. God has done an amazing thing in your life, and I'm so proud of you. And, and I was like, why is he not saying it? So I went, I spent some time with God, and I feel like God said to me. He said, Steve, you're trying to get him to see you. And you can't change anybody. Get him to see me. Because I change everything. With our family, we try to win. We try to one-up. And we hope that they're going to recognize us now. And I believe what Jesus told me then still holds true for tonight, that it's not about them seeing us, it's about them seeing Him. And I promise you the opportunity is there, whether it's with your parents or your siblings or your kids or your cousins, whether they're around you now or they come around for holidays, are you trying, are you demanding that they see you or are you demonstrating him? Because the opportunities are there for you to love differently. Jesus said, okay, I'll do that. Matthew 20, 28 said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So tonight as we worship, just, just ask, God, am I been trying to, to, to prove to everyone and get them to see me? Or I want them to see you? Let's worship God together.